Welcome to Catholic Town, sponsored by the National Shrine Grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes and Mount St. Mary's University. Catholic Town aims to highlight people, places, and movements that are spreading the kingdom of God in the historic town of Emmitsburg, Maryland, and beyond. Join us as we sit down with Catholic figures of all types, hear their stories, and get to the heart of what drives them. I'm David McCarthy. And I'm Leon Dixon. Yep. Uh, I've taught at the Mount, or I should say I started teaching at the Mount in 1998, taught theology. Now I am the associate provost, still love theology, get to do, do it whenever I can, right? I'm here with Leon to talk about saints, and in particular, Father Gus, but some other saints as well. So before we get started on that, can you just tell us the saints we will end up talking about? Well, we'll talk about... Henrietta Delisle, Pierre Toussaint, Sister Thea Bowman, Julia Greeley, and Mother Mary Lane. Nice. We'll get on to them in a minute. I first want to introduce you to Leon and ask him a bunch of questions about himself. Like, he's been here less than a year. How, many, how long have you been? Two months and three weeks and one, two, three, four days. And how many hours? Uh, I guess about maybe 14 hours. <laughs> there you go. Um, so you came from Detroit. What were you doing in Detroit? I was over the, I worked for the Archdiocese of Detroit. I was over the Office of Black Catholic Ministry and I was, and Native American Ministry. And I was also the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Specialist for the Diocese. Right. And is that where you heard a call to be a deacon or was it before that? Actually, it was way before. I've been running away from the call for years. But once I started doing the work on a full-time basis, I think he just lassoed me in. Yeah. So yeah. I started discernment. Your defenses were down. Uh, they were still up, but his, his hold was stronger than my defenses. Gotcha, gotcha. And you're from New Orleans? Originally from New Orleans. I was born in New Orleans, but I was raised in Detroit. Ah, got it, got it. Uh, and then can you say something about your position here at the Mount? Maybe even how you managed to get here. Oh, wow. So how I managed to get here, I still still in wonder and laugh about often because I never saw a job posting for it, but a friend of mine who works in another diocese, is a friend of a friend of Dr. Franklin, who is our vice president of student life. Nice. He referred me to Dr. Franklin, and we talked on the phone a couple of times, and I kind of was like, eh, I'm good where I'm at. I'm mm. good where I'm at. But about the third or fourth conversation, he had me hooked. And really, it came down to a simple question that's kind of funny. He was like, what would your dream job be? I said, to be a missionary. And he asked, well, Tell me about that. I said, well, I grew up watching a show called Kung Fu with David Carradine. Mm -hmm. And for all those who don't know what it is, so David Carradine was a Chinese migrant worker, actually an, an enslaved individual who escaped from the railroads back in the 1800s. name was Kane. So he wandered the South, just getting into mysteries and getting into mischief and living off the land and off his, I just thought it was awesome because he would come to town. And drink water. Drink a lot of water, <laughs> do a lot of kung fu, you know, beat up the bad guy, save the day. And I, I thought that was awesome. So yeah. as I went, as I grew up, went to Catholic school, one of my priests, he said, you know, being, being a missionary is like being Cain. I was like, wow, I love Cain, so I know I would love to be a missionary. And then from that point on, I started really looking at what missionaries do. And honestly, I wanted to be a priest when I was younger, but that didn't work out. But um, the call to mission has always been important to me. And then, of course, I was raised in the Jesuit tradition to do what? Be a man for what? Others. Right. So that got you here to the Mount. 
It got me to the mount. Yeah. And is this friend that started this whole thing off still a friend then? Yeah, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't returned his call. Lately, but <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, nice. All right, so we're going to talk about these saints or the people on the pathway to sainthood. And I just want to talk a little bit about why we name saints. You got anything about that? Okay, I'll start this off and just okay. say what I usually say to people is um, we have saints all around us or, or in our families. Um, I know my wife has asked for her father who died in 99 for some prayers along the way in raising children. So uh, there's everything is legitimate about that, that we know people in our lives that are, are good and holy. And so being St. Lee isn't the same as being named a saint, right? So do you have anything to say about that or expound on that? Well, what I would say is having saints is important. So we name saints because we need that inspiration. We need that model of what a real Christian looks like. And often we think of these high and mighty lofty places, but sometimes the saints are real people. And, and, and it puts it into a different context. You know, for me, it really rang home in, 19, in 2017. I got to be the only lector at the Father Solanus Casey Beatification Mass. Uh, right. And in the lead up to that, I did a lot of work with the Caps. And he was a regular guy. And I think that put it in perspective for me that, you know, it's not unattainable, but it's still good to have a, a, a local. You got to say a little bit more about him because people probably didn't catch the word cap. Oh. And uh, him being a regular guy, like he was a porter, right? He, yeah. he, he saw to the door. So Father Solanus was a porter at the, the St. Bonaventure Monastery in Detroit. He's a capuchin, which is a Franciscan order. He wasn't, uh, let's see, he wasn't academically sound enough to become a, he wasn't academically sound enough to become a, a, a true priest. So they felt bad for him. So they made him the, the porter at the monastery. And through his work as a porter, he started just being hospitable to people because at the same time we were going through a depression in Detroit, where the whole nation was, but he still made people feel whole. And he was the one who started this huge soup kitchen ministry in Detroit now. It's actually called the Capuchin, Capuchin Soup Kitchen, but he's responsible for it. He wanted to make sure everybody ate. Uh, two people came to him one day. He didn't have anything but a bowl of soup in front of him, and they were hungry. So he started spooning out the soup. And before he knew it, and it was like 20 people he was feeding with this one bowl of soup. And I know it sounds kind of incredible, but... It really is incredible because there were actual accounts who saw, who told, who tell the story that they watched him ration out the soup and it was enough for everybody. He's an awesome guy. And, and I'm, I'm really honored to have been a part of his canonization process because I, I, that beatification mass was beautiful. It's at Ford Field. It holds 70,000 people and we had standing room only. So it's closer to 80,000 people worshiping and, and being together. So I thought it was awesome. So there's two things in that I think are interesting about saints. One is they're not famous people, right? They're not, say, Nelson Mandela's, let's say. I guess there's some, like Mother Teresa is that type, right? So Mother Teresa had worldwide recognition before she became a saint. But usually saints, as you say, are regular people. They're known locally, and they go from a kind of pathway after they die 
of people recognizing their life locally, like in a diocese. Right. Well, I shouldn't say like in a, actually in a diocese, they have to be lifted up by some group. Correct. Um, there it was at the diocese of Detroit, I'm assuming. Yes, right. Okay. So then, and then it kind of makes its way up and being named a saint, right? It makes its yeah. way up the yeah. levels and being named a saint means that the church is saying this person might you, that you may never have heard of is a person of heroic virtue. Right. Yeah. And I have to say too, not just simply somebody we should uh, live like, but also somebody we can start to have a relationship with. Correct. Yeah. I think that's the, the thing that sometimes people forget when they sort of write about saints or have talks about saints they're just not exemplary figures that we, um, you know, like we copy or we hold right. up their lives to say like heroic future. We actually can have a relationship with them. And, um, yeah. Know, yeah. And that was the beauty of, you know, Father Solanus, his monastery is in the heart of Detroit. I mean, it's dead smack in the middle and you can actually go pray with his body. It's entombed there. So you can go pray there. And I know that the prayers and his intercession work because they've worked in my life. So I'm sure as the miracles get evaluated, he'll be making the final cut any day now because he's done some tremendous work for people in our diocese and people from around the world. Right. And and uh, I will add, because the language gets messy sometimes, but when we pray to a saint, it's more like if I were to say to you, Leon, would you pray for me? Right, And so it's not that we're holding up saints as God figures that can do things for us. In fact, it's their nearness to God that makes their intercession for us effective. Like my grandmother used to say, they stand in the door for us to make sure we're heard. Nice. Nice. Because she always used to make the analogy, you know, when we're hollering on mom and dad says, dinner time, and then we holler, we're coming, and nobody hears it. But if my brother's at the door, he'll be like, yeah, Leon's coming down the street. My grand, my mom and my grandmother would say that's the same way saints work. Oh. You know, they're relaying the message on for you. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So I think that's when we can take a break because afterward we're going to talk about specific saints, particularly Father Gus. Yes. At Mount St. Mary's, the extraordinary experience we have here will create careers and lives that matter out there because from the minute we arrive and for every moment that follows, we live significantly. So I will be completely honest with you, Leon. You are introducing me to these saints. So I, I follow saints, I've written on saints, but you are introducing these saints to us. So um, one, we'll start where you want to start. You want to start with Father Gus? No, I'm going to start with Pierre Toussaint. Pierre Toussaint. So here's a man who was, was a slave who got freedom upon his master's death in New York. So contrary to popular thought about where slavery existed, he lived in New York. He's responsible for Catholic charities. You know, it's his work that started Catholic charities. And that's something I think everybody knows about is Catholic charities. Every diocese has a Catholic charities, but it wouldn't have been a Catholic charities had it not been for this man spending his master's money as requested after the death. He's a, great person who I think we lose sometimes in the magnum, you know, the, 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 the hugeness of all these other saints, sister Thea Bowman, she died recent in recent times within the last 20 years from cancer. But P 
people know Sister Thea because she spoke before the USCCB, the United States Council of Catholic Bishops, and um, spoke truth to power about the way the church has treated black people and women over the years. And what I, I've even met Sister Thea, she taught down in Zula, which is Xavier University, Louisiana's um, black Catholic program that they have. And what I used to like about Sister Thea was when she would get exhausted with words, she would begin to sing. And she would continue her story through song. And I had a way of not just humbling the situation, but making people really pay attention because something about music just soothes people and, and causes them to listen on a different level. Then there's Henrietta DeLisle. Woman. Wait, wait, before we move on, I just sure. want to ask to say a few things. One is uh, Pierre Toussaint, he, it's a, born in Haiti. Correct. Right. And was he born into slavery? Yes. Okay. And then he makes his way to New York. Correct. Just the way that happened to slaves. The way it happened. Right. I want to add that one of the things that does happen with the, say, the naming of saints is that uh, you need somebody behind their cause, right? Somebody to push them forward. And usually that takes money and organization. A lot of money and a lot of organization. Right. So there's a whole group of people like Pierre Toussaint who have made a great effect on the church, but for various sorts of reasons, died mid-19th century. For various sorts of reasons, nobody's picked up his cause. So what has, what has been the beginning of this? So recently, the Diocese of New York has picked up his cause, but they've had some challenges with people being assigned to different places. Mm-hmm. So it kind of fell through the cracks. So it's being picked up again in combination with other causes. Because, you know, one thing I have to say, it's important to have these black saints and have conversations about them because for so long, there was no voice for black Catholics in America. And contrary to popular belief, there's a huge population of black Catholics in America. But when you look at saints, there's nobody that looks like us. Right. You know. Yeah. And that seems to be different with um, Thea Bowman, who died in 1990. So can you tell us any? So people can actually touch and feel. I mean, you know, they know her. So... It's like the, the the song says, you know, out of sight, out of mind. What have you done for me lately? Well, they know her. Here mm-hmm. lately, people know who she is. So it's easier to support somebody you have a recollection of or somebody who can tell you a firsthand account of. Mm-hmm. Um, with Pierre Toussaint, mid-1800s, there's really nobody to tell a story of what he, he's done for them. But people can actually sit down. I mean, I remember as a young man seeing Sister Thea, so I can even pass on one of those stories. Right. Right. Where did you see her now? I saw her in, in New Orleans at a conference oh. that I wasn't even really planning on being at. I got drug along because just as happenstance would have it, I was down there trying to have some fun. And one of my friends was like, oh, you really like this? And I was like, oh, sure. And I'm thinking we're going to Bourbon Street and we end up going to university. And I'm like, oh, OK. So how did she make her mark when she was living? So. As a black nun, she actually talked about racism in the church. And it caused a lot of conversations to occur that wouldn't normally occur. And she was really honest about it, and she was really forthcoming. And she talked about the the impact on her, because she's from Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken. And she talks about her personal experience with race in the church, which Uh is something most black Catholics can understand, because even in my, my history... I can be, remember being told, oh, you don't want to come to this parish because black people go to this other parish. Right. So um, moving on, I cut you off right when you were starting on somebody. 
else. Oh, and the, yeah. Henrietta Delisle. Okay. So Henrietta Delisle is from Louisiana, and she's particularly interesting once you get into the behind-the-scenes stuff about her because, honestly, she's an example of what can what people who, they're not always their circumstance. She was, again, in, in, enslaved, but human trafficking is what the term would be now. Right. But she turned her, her hurt into a full ministry for caring for people, particularly those who were part of the sex trafficking that happened on plantations. Oh, yeah. Right. And she, was she in a religious order? No, she was just a slave. She was a slave. Right. Yeah. And was that similar with uh, Pierre Toussaint? He, he enslaved his whole life. Well, he got freed upon death. Oh, you said upon death of his right. master. Right. Right. So how many years did he have? No, I can't give you exact details. Okay. So I don't okay. want to miss Right. 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 No, fair enough. History. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right. I, um, I think we're going to take uh, a break now or and start a part two. Is that the thing to say? And then, uh, yeah. How do you want to be remembered? Please consider including Mount St. Mary's in your will or state plan. Remembering the mountain your plan is easy, qualifies you for membership in our 1808 society, and will provide opportunities for future students to call the mount their home. For more information, visit our website at msmary.edu. All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about Father Gus. Go, Leon. So, Father Gus is a really, 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 I mean, it's like an action novel waiting to happen when you learn about his life. So he was, again, he was a slave, and his mom wanted her kids to be free. So they literally were running from slave owners and slave catchers, went to this boat on the Mississippi River, laid down in the boat and pushed off, and she somehow managed to paddle while bullets were being fired until she got across the Mississippi. And the rest is like history, I guess. I mean, because Father Gus, from that point on, he became, they, they found a, a family that got him in touch with Catholicism. One thing leads to another. He decides he wants to be a priest. Couldn't find a diocese here that would allow him to be a priest because he was a black man. So he somehow or another gets his way to Rome, and he studies in Rome. Comes a priest, comes back, finds a diocese in Illinois, and he thought he was going to be in Chicago, but he ended up down in southern Illinois. I forget the name of the, the, the town right now. It escapes me because I get so excited telling the story because, you know, he he has a special place, you know, as a as a as a black Catholic looking and seeing black priests is a rare item. Mm. So to have somebody like him being elevated that high is huge for for our community in particular. So he ends up going down to this to the south side of St. Louis, but he goes down there and he ends up in a parish. And it's really a crappy parish. You know, they put him there kind of like a punishment, but as a way of protecting him from slave catchers. And he ministers and ministers and ministers and ministers and gets sick. They think it might have been tuberculosis. Nobody knows, but he got really, really sick and he passed away. Right, 40s, in his 40s. In his 40s. Yeah. Because yeah. he was working around the clock. Not only was he doing his priestly duties, he was also trying to to, to work on manhood issues for the black community to make, you know, to uplift the community. So he, he takes on a real special significance as the first black priest recognized black priest in America. 
I think another thing that really sets him apart is the fact that he was so humble, you know, in the, in the adversity, you know, I could go on and on about that because marginalized people in this country have so many different obstacles in front of them, but he's an example of what you can do when you put your mind to it. Couldn't be one here. He found a way to become a priest by going somewhere else and then still came back and did what he wanted to do. Not necessarily in the community he wanted, but to help people the way he wanted. And I think that's another good thing about the priesthood. And I'm going to give them a free, a free um, ad here. Being a priest, you get to be talk about entrepreneurial. That's your parish once you get to a parish, you know, and if you got a ministry that's out, that's your ministry. So you get to do it, you know, kind of the way you want. You got the basic tenets to fall up under, but it's kind of on you. And that's what he brought to it was his own style of, of ministry, which wasn't common at the time. You know, T Hollywood does a real good job about making it seem like all religious were anti-slavery. Well, that's not true. Right. And he had to work against the religious bias, the racial bias, the the educational bias, because once he was viewed as, you know, being white because he went to Rome and came back, he had to deal with that in his community. So he overcame a lot of different things. Right. And he died in 1897. Correct. Right. And I just was looking over some of the stuff I, he knew or had a connection to St. Mother, uh, St. Catherine Drexel, Drexel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so they kind of overlapped a bit. Yeah, and overlapped. he had a connection with her sisters. Correct. Right. Because yes. they would help. Well, sister, I don't, don't want to go way into detail, but that her community was one of the first to really minister in the black community. Right. She she actually inherited um, a fortune and had no nephews and nieces just because of things that happened with their family. Yep. Um, you know, um, her sister's children died and these sorts of things. So she just basically took all that wealth and gave it to minor, uh, basically minority communities, right? To start my, schools and my, my mom's a graduate of one of her programs ah. at Xavier in New Orleans. Nice, nice, right? And then maybe you could say a few things about uh, an event that's going to happen on campus. So November 4th, we're having a program of, it's called Tolton. It's about the life of Father Gus Tolton. Is brought to you by St. Luke Productions, so they do a lot of different religious programming. But anyway, Father Gus's story is a one-man show, and you have to see it to really grasp. So I'm hoping people come out, but the, the guy who does, who's Father Tolton, you would swear it's the whole cast because he's really a dynamic guy. Um, the scenery for it to be, again, a one-act play, the scenery is so incredible. I think what this does, though, is introduce the story that needs to be told to people who need to hear it. I'm, I'm a firm believer that we all grow the more we hear and learn about each other. And since I've been in Emmitsburg, I've learned that not many people knew that there was a black Catholic community. Mm -hmm. And I come from a diocese at one point that we had close to maybe 450,000, you know, Right here in Baltimore, it's a huge. Matter of fact, the oldest black Catholic church is in Baltimore. Right. Um, right. St. Francis Xavier. But anyway, Father Tolton, that story is an inspiration, not just to our community, but to everyone. Because come, overcoming adversity, there's a lot to be said for that. Because we all go through it every day in our life. There's something that comes to us that we're not prepared for. Or something that we are prepared for that we really can't handle. But things happen. And to find a way to work through it and work around, I think that's important. And then again, priesthood is undervalued in our country. And I know there's a lot of things that go, have gone on in recent memory with priests, but just like anything else, you have 
few bad apples. They can't spoil the whole bunch. This is an example of a priest who's done some phenomenal work. And I, I think that's just admirable because, again, I love priests. I think priests have one of the most underappreciated jobs in the world. Dealing with the whole parish, if they're at a parish with all those personalities, I have a hard time with my daughter. So I can only imagine what it's like with 400 people. If you're teaching at a seminary, again, you got all these young guys coming in with their own thoughts, and I'm sure they want to tell the staff how priests should be without knowing, so they have to put that together and synthesize that. So I think this is a good example of one what what priesthood is, more than just the the, the sacrifice we see, but the sacrifice he made to to try to make a difference. And then the care he has as, as a father. So that's November 4th. I will attest that I've been to two one-actor sort of things. We used to have on campus somebody do Dorothy Day. And like you, I was skeptical, and I went, I was like, wow. Same thing, really good setting. I also heard one guy do the whole Gospel of Mark, but same thing. You're like, this guy's (laughs) going to read the Gospel of Mark. But it really was good, so I'm looking forward to that. It's not auditorium, I'm assuming? Yes, 7 p.m. Great. Now, we'll end this off by kind of where we began with saints, um, that, that the, the thing we are really about here with all of the saints, all the people that we're, we've talked about, people on the road to sainthood, let's call it, and here, Father Gus in particular, uh, these are people that came from local places, yeah. unknown to many people, very well known to some. But what's happening here is they're being lifted up to the whole church as people... Uh, not only to emulate and to follow God the way they did, but also to start to have a relationship with. Fair enough? Yes? Yes. Yeah? Great. Good having you, Leon. That was Leon Dixon telling us about the saints. We want to thank him for that. And also thanking the Grotto and staff for giving us the opportunity to talk. And tune in next time for more about the Catholic Church.